Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32-year Wall Street veterans who have had to go underground and take on secret identities in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks that come out of a screen we run here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV, you've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, it's approximately May 23rd or something, 2013, uh, we're here with a screen that is uh, part high quality and part good valuation, which we're going to share four good names uh, that we found this week. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First... This show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, while Mo and I are portfolio managers and analysts during the week, here on the show we're kicked back after work and uh, might not be paying as careful attention to every detail as we do during the week. So beware. Third, our lawyers today to remind you we may not have your best interests in mind, so do your own work. And fourth, uh, and I'll just speak for myself because Mo is somehow on some kind of health kick, but I've been drinking here a little bit after work. So, see all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took, links to past shows indexed by dollar sign ticker, uh, and you can Google that, dollar sign ticker, the value guys, and amazingly, a lot of conversations come up. At See all that at www.thevalueguys.com. Okay, thanks for joining in, everybody. We've been off for a couple of weeks um, but, uh, you know, vacation, what have you, right, moving offices. And so uh, we're back with uh, uh, our, uh, I guess, in the first couple, for a couple of weeks now, we haven't had this, and you were gone for a while, but we're back to the Value Guys, Wall Street News, featuring Momentum Mo. Take it away. Well, it was a, was a busy week on, uh, on Wall Street. It was a busy week legislatively and for entrepreneurs in... State of Colorado. Colorado. So you Mountain know they climbing they, has been uh, legalized, I guess. Yep, yep. So marijuana has been legal yeah. for what about two months, and it didn't take the uh, legislature long. By to, the way, you uh, were gone for about two months. I was gone for two yeah. months. Huh. Hmm. That's interesting. What a coincidence. Mo. <laughs> well, the uh, the the legislature now is begin estimating what the nineteen or two thousand fourteen tax revenues are going to be from pot, and they've just released a white paper. So these are their numbers. They think that next year twelve point five percent of Colorado residents—that's six hundred and forty-two thousand people—twelve point five percent, twelve point five percent—are going to buy pot next year. Uh, that's a okay. six hundred and. 42,772. That's precise. That's how many guys are going to buy pot in San Francisco this weekend. Yeah, so that may that... be true, but it's a, this is a startup. <coughs> and they think that these people are each going to, over the course of the year, buy 3.53 ounces okay. of pot. That's a lot of... And they're going to pay $185 an ounce. One eighty-five an ounce. Okay. So they're going. So your average pot smoker is going to pay about six hundred and fifty dollars a year for their three ounces. Lower than my wine bill, I got. And admit um, that. so here's the good news: the state now estimates that based on a fifteen percent excise tax, they're going to yep. raise twenty-one point seven million dollars. Here's Just, the bad news. Okay. They're budgeting forty million. Yikes! So here's the solution. So they've already got a problem in Colorado. Well. If you can get the 12% of the people that are going to buy pot next year, yeah. up to 25% of the people. Yeah. The increased volume yes. on a 15% excise tax is going to make going to get the state to where its target is. So, so the state's going to be pushing that agenda. Next week, I think they start uh, pushing uh, the increased consumption of marijuana statewide, and we're already talking to an advertising agency that's bidding for the business. Really now? So... Huh. That's going to be something to Get watch. Get the driver's license list. Send out some direct now, mail. Now think yeah. about think about <laughs> think about watching this one state in the United States where twenty five percent of the people who live there are stoned all the time. Uh, I assume they are now. I mean, they, it's Colorado. Yeah. You know, gonna be Rocky some, Mountain High. I mean, that's a, from the seventy stuff that comes out. Of that. All right. Well, uh, that's interesting. That's. Uh, are there any other stories? Wall Street. We do. Uh, We've stories? got something. You must we're have something we're else introducing else. this week, which is our because we've talked about this in the office. Yeah. The Entrepreneur of the Year Award. 
Well, that's a good one. It's early enough in the year yeah. where you've obviously done a lot of work to get to this point to announce this. And Absolutely. So, uh, um, and the uh, the first contender for this award is um, it's a Florida group, okay, um, and it's called Dream Tours. Dream now Tours. Yeah, now here's what Dream Tours will get you and your family a fast pass Sounds or a nice. VIP pass for Disneyland. Awesome. So yeah. instead of an eight hour wait to get on one ride, yeah, eight hours, yeah, they can take you through the whole park in less than eight hours because you go to the front of the line every single time and they make it happen. It sounds great. Yep. Right. Yep. It's, one percenters. And the the uh, the the they uh, they rent you. They rent you. A uh, disabled child. <laughs> they do. Okay. And so, that's uh, you, your ticket. You, you uh, can, <laughs> yeah, you can sort of rent a disabled kid for $800 uh-huh. an hour. Yeah. And that gets you to the front of the line. You know, uh, a little embarrassed to say I, I know uh, know some people that have, have done this, Mo. And it's not a disabled child. It's a. What'd you get? Uh, well, my friend. <laughs> my friend. Who was with you? <laughs> No, we talk. How much did your friend cost an hour? <laughs> no, okay. I'm. This is so funny that you mentioned this, Mo, because uh, a friend of mine actually did this, and what my friend told me was, uh, now for you to go to Disneyland with your family, it's going to cost you, you know, four or five hundred bucks to for a ticket for the day. I mean, it's they charge you a hundred and something for adults, eighty something for kids. I mean, so. Uh, and when they opened the new Cars Land, you know, it's Cars. Right. I mean, we I don't know if we've ever dedicated a show to Cars, the movie, but we should. It's right. that good. And so uh, there's, a, there's a ride, and you're riding Lightning McQueen and all these guys. I mean, you want to go on that ride. It's the biggest extension of the park since it opened in 1955. And, uh, and so the lines, they're not quite eight hours, but seriously... Four hours. So if you want to go on that ride, you almost have to go twice to the park, two days. So that's 500 extra dollars, okay, plus hotel, right. food, all that, which you'd rather spend down in Laguna Beach than in Anaheim, right. personally. The, the guy, the guide, was $800. So net, net, yeah. getting you to the front of the line, saving you one full day of tickets and overnight in a hotel. My friend, all saving it, my friend. Makes sense, which is yeah. why he can price himself so high. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of dirt. I mean, my friend tells me he got a lot of dirty looks. Because uh, after all, we're not celebrities. You know, exactly. Because we obviously do the show incognito, so no one recognizes. But but it's been endorsed by the Americans with Disabilities Act folks, and so it's a you know it's a good way for a part of the population. Let me tell you what living. this guy's uh, handicap was, and I hope he's not listening because again we did this. He was a guide. Didn't, yeah. We didn't know any of this stuff that it was an abuse of the system. We didn't know he was handicapped. It's just it was a guide. I mean, my friend yeah. didn't know any of this. Yeah. So all of a sudden, he's showing this pass everywhere, and I'm looking at it, and it's like handicapped. The guy is walking along like you or me, Mo, and I just, I don't want to offend him. I'm just like, oh, man, uh, oh, you're handicapped. Gee, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, what's uh, what's what's wrong? He's just like, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I had uh, spinal meningitis or something like that, and it really, it really, uh, you know, it, 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 it hurt my back and my spine, and I was like, does it hurt now? Like you're walking along, is it hurting right now? He's like, no, it only hurts when I stand still for long periods of time. I'm like, oh, like a line. <laughs> He's like, yeah, like a line. So yes, and that a handicap, wor- and, and that worked. And yeah, that's Disney great. issued him a pass. Again, I'm hearing all this from my friend. His wife is a tour guide at Disney, so he knows the inside scoop and. Uh, He's got a very specific pa- illness that only hurts if you're standing in a line. <laughs> so I'm just looking at this guy going, are you freaking serious? I mean, in all due respect, I didn't turn hostile because we still had a lot of rides to go on. <laughs> but uh, I just, somewhere in there, I did sense something was up. And then, of course, it hit the national news. So, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So... Uh, so any any other uh, value guys? No, we're just that? going to do a quick shout out to Steve Cohen. Hey, Steve, good luck. You know, Steve is the head. I yeah. was almost said former head of SAC well, he's Capital. Not, he's the future former head. Maybe. 
Yeah, but, I hope um, he survives it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, they're really going after this guy, and you know the 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 wall seemed to be tumbling. I just so Steve, heads up. Listen to our show last year, February. We did go through the top ten white collar uh, jails. All, went through all of the facilities. That was a great and, show. Uh, it was a good show. Go back, listen to it. You'll you'll get some good. Some advice. have uh, bowling, uh, billiards. I mean, yeah. I mean, are, you're either going to go to a tennis place, or you're going to go to yeah. a golf place, or, beach, but, but, mountain. There's but a lot. so we've gone through the whole thing. You know, Vanity Fair did some outtakes of it. So uh, so listen to that show and that's awesome. And good luck. Good luck from both of us. Okay, well, this is the part of the show that if you don't we like all that banter, you can fast forwarded to this. We've got four great ideas out of the screen we ran this week, and uh, I ran a screen on Fact Set, so thank you, Fact Set. Um, I kind of kind of tweaked a uh, canned screen they have now. If you don't happen to have Fact Set, and you may not, just Yahoo Finance is a fabulous resource, and they have a pretty detailed screening tool. That honestly, in our shop here, we used up until we had enough clients to pay for Faxet. So it's perfectly legitimate. Um, but Faxet has a button I had to click. So one of our efforts here on the show is to do as little work as possible. So that's why I did that. The screen is uh, <clears throat> here's what we have uh, total debt to equity less than 25%, um, interest coverage greater than four times. Uh, paying a dividend, so the ratio didn't matter. Um, price to book, and this is harder to do on Yahoo, but FactSet has a built-in capability below the median of the industry. So that's a nice little valuation tweak. Uh, price to cash flow, less than 20 times. So that's not a real hard value filter, but it gives me at a... Minimum of 5% earnings yield, which I I like uh, as kind of a floor to that component of total return. And then a price-to-sales ratio less than 2, and I've talked about it on the show before, but why I like a price-to-sales ratio is it doesn't screen out money-losing companies, and so sometimes you can impute a, a margin uh, that they'll reach in the future, and at that point in the future, they'll not only have earnings they don't have now, but they'll have a higher valuation because the fear is gone and you can sometimes make good money on that type of thing. So those five criteria, 57 companies got through that screen. I didn't end up having a market cap criteria on that. So the universe was 2,000 companies, 57 screened. Mo and I went through each and every one carefully, I'd say, uh, and carefully can mean a lot of things. And we came up with four names. Uh, AOL, ticker AOL, Holly Frontier, a crude oil refining company, HFC, Tower Watson, which is a uh, recruiting firm, and Gardner, Denver, GDI, which is an industrial firm. Uh, We're going to go alphabetical this week, so starting out, AOL, ticker AOL. What do they do? Uh, Well, uh, let's see. Let me read here. This started out as America Online, which I'm reading through here, and nowhere on the sheet, it's a summary sheet, does it say America Online. So, hey, that's, I guess, if you know that, that's uh, a little corporate secret. Yeah, corporate secret now. AOL, you know, they got bought by Time Warner, and then it turned out that, uh, you know, people didn't really like their product that much, and then they got spun back out. And it was on a downtick for many years. From the spin-out of Time Warner at 25 bucks, it got as low as 12 bucks back in 2011. And the reason was viewers were leaving, advertisers were leaving, you know, you had a big ramp on other properties, you know, mainly, of course, Google, uh, Microsoft, and as troubled as Yahoo is, you know, they have a lot more business than... AOL. So AOL back in the day was uh, the way onto the internet. So they have a very storied history. They were a place where you could see all the data you wanted before there was the internet. And then when the internet came along, they had some problems adapting to that and they got crushed. But the story today, Mo, is one of uh, basically recasting themselves as a media company, rebuilding their advertising. Rebuilding their distribution. They own a lot of newspapers around the country now, local papers. They're building advertising. That's their model. 
Their old dial-up is shrinking, so you got to understand that's going to go away. And the stock's gone from the low in 2011 of 12 to around $37 a share. So I'm not a fan of that. You are. Well, I'll but tell it, you, I, do, I, I have a finance question for you because yes, I, sir. that was the first thing that caught my mind. Yeah, you like the chart, I think. In the last two years, the stock's yeah. up 125%. I know. So here's, I the, know. here's my question for you, Professor. Yes, sir. In the last year and a half, the stock's up 125%. In 2012, yeah. it almost doubled. Yeah. I'm looking at the numbers, yeah. which I rarely do. That's <laughs> your job. But I noticed that sales were sort of flat, $2.2 yeah. to $2.2 EBITDA was kind of up a little from $350 million to $375 million. So that's like a nah. Certainly not the, not the stuff that makes stocks double. And yet, something happened under EBITDA that resulted in $11 a share in earnings, up from flat last year. So yeah. something big happened in between the EBITDA line and the net income line. Yes. And when I'm looking at this company, I'm looking at $0.13 cents a share in 2007, minus 14 in 2008. You're positive in 2009, you lose 7 bucks in 2010. You're flat in 2011, you got a huge year in 2012. Man, yeah. these are some erratic earnings. Erratic, yeah. So whatever they trade AOL on, unless you unless you can divine some other value story in the numbers, I'm, I'm mystified. Well, let me get behind those a little bit, Mo. Those are a lot of good questions. Uh, the stock has been erratic. The model's been erratic. I mean, basically, at one point, these guys were charging a hundred million to people, nineteen bucks a month to dial up on the internet, and that is a slow burn, like the half life of a radioactive element. And so, I can't tell you how many subscribers they have today, in part because they haven't written it down here. But uh, I think twenty-seven percent of their revenue according to this, AOL Networks, and I'm just guessing. It might be the membership group, but there's a big chunk of this business that's still those old dial-up people, the guys that didn't figure out that they can somehow just call their phone company and get a you know a fast network in their house or what have you, and they're still using dial-up. That's dying a little bit each year, so that's bleeding. But what's happened here, Mo, is the company, um, and, and we had the good fortune here in the shop of talking to the CFO a few years ago and really getting a bad sense of things and uh, and so we didn't end up buying it and we felt really smart because the stock went from 25 to 12 he was let go and then but then we we didn't buy it and went from 12 to 40 so the reason I'm talking about it today is that's the past so what is it right now We've had basically three years of EBITDA improvement. It's The model is now advertising. Newspapers, websites people go to, it's an ad model. Uh, they own a lot of properties that you might not expect. They own Huffington Post. They started to build a media business around brands that aren't AOL. They understand that the AOL brand has somehow been tainted the way, you remember, IZOD? Oh, sure. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, a, it's an age Rorschach test. So, you know, if you're a certain age, you're AOL. You know, if you're the next age, you're Yahoo. If the next you're the a little bit younger, you're Gmail. The and email, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the, their, they, their model's changed. And what I'm going to suggest is at 7.5 times EBITDA, 1.3 times sales, 8 times cash flow, 1.3 times book. And this is after the they lost... Seven bucks in 2010 because they wrote off a bunch of properties, mm -hmm. and they seem to be on a you know a route of improvement. That big earnings last year, they clearly sold something because it came in even below the EBIT line. Yep. And so I just think you know they've been buying shares. Mm -hmm. Their balance sheet is surprisingly in good shape. Five percent debt to cap, and at eight times EBITDA. If you think the internet is gaining share of total advertising, I'd say that's the thesis to this name. They're a brand that has figured out how to survive, and I think from here on, they're going to be a part of the internet, and you're going to pick up that growth eight times EBITDA. Well, I love the chart, I love the momentum, so if you love the valuation, that's uh, that's good. I think it's worth, uh, I think it's worth a, you know, a little bit of work. The estimates have been um, down a little bit over the last few months, but single digits. You've got 18 people covering the stock, so clearly... 
you know, we don't have any secrets here on the show to uncover because you got so many guys covering it. But I just, I think that they're in the ascension in terms of stability of margin. Their sales haven't been growing, but they haven't been shrinking. And I think they're going to start getting, you know, their share of Internet advertising, and that's your ticket. So AOL. Ticker. AOL. AOL. Yeah. All right, next up. Uh, a, let's see. Holly G- Frontier. H, is that how it goes? H- Not. E- a, B, C, D, F, G, H. Holly Frontier. What about Not. Gardner, Denver? Oh, Gardner, Denver. Do you have that one? Uh, I do. Did we choose to do this one? Uh, next up, Gardner, Denver, ticker GDI. And, uh, again, out of 57 that made the screen, this one passed for me because... Um, very stable EBITDA margins in the upper teens. Industrial company. They make um, a, a lot of different things. Compressors. That compressors that are in a lot of industries. Uh, the thesis might be infrastructure growth, government getting bigger as a percent of the economy. And when government gets bigger, which I'm not a fan of, but when it does, they take that money and they put it into things that are you know, for the social good. And when you have bridges collapsing and things like that, there's going to be, I think, and industry is going to gain share. We got cheaper energy in America. Industry is going to start gaining share primarily from things like finance, which are losing share. Um, and these guys are just a straight down the middle play on some of the basic types of things that you make for industry. They've got good margins, good returns on equity. It's uh, you know cheap enough where there's some upside in the valuation. Nine times EBITDA. That's an 11% cash on cash return. And I think uh, of everything I looked at. And the stock is actually down over the past year and a half, despite the fact that, um, well, EBITDA's flat, so that's one reason to, you know, be sluggish. But I think with the economy continuing to grow, this thing is undoubtedly going to be a beneficiary of some of the spending coming down the road in infrastructure. And so, uh, <laughs> I have a question for you. Do you have uh, look, a question? This is an odd stock because it's got a great chart, and yet when I look at the numbers, I come away with a, with a sort of a unqualified, eh. here and, and here, you look at the company through these eyes. Yeah. Sales three years ago, 2.4 million. Sales million, a year million, ago, million. Yeah. 2.4 billion sales last year. 2.4 yeah. billion. Yeah. I mean, not much going on. Not there. a lot going on. Then, then, if you look at earnings, five dollars and thirty-three cents. Five dollars and twenty-eight cents. Five dollars and twenty-three cents. It's like, eh, on, yeah, yeah. So now it's time, given these trends and given this input, <laughs> yeah, it's time when I ask you to, oh no, forecast the dividend. Forecast the dividend. This I'm going to give you. Game. I'm going to give you some data. Okay, and you're going to forecast a dividend. All right, I'll take it out. And then bro. we're go going ahead. to use it. We're going to use it to forecast. We're not recording the stock this. Price. I hope. All right, go ahead. Okay, in 2010. 2010. Roger. Dividends per share. Yes. Twenty cents. Two. All right. Dividends per share. Twenty. Cents. Twenty cents. 2011. Roger. Got it. Dividends. Yes. Twenty cents. Hold on. Let me write that down. 2011. 2011. 2011. Twenty cents. Yep. Got it. 2012. Yes. Twenty cents. 20 cents a share. And 2013. Right? Oh, wait. Yep. Okay, go ahead. 2013. Yes. 20 cents a share. 20 cents a share. So give me your one-year forecast. I will. Dividends per share. There's a lot more. This may seem very simple when you're just listening to it on a podcast, but it's incredibly complicated. Is my HP 12 uh, C over? Oh, there it is. Yep. I've got that. It's the key to this calculation. I'm so this, is, a, this is much more complex than it might, might seem, but given all of the data on this page, uh, you're going you're gonna to create the algorithm yeah. mentally yes, and use that to forecast a dividend one full year yes. out, out. Not a quarter year, not a half a year. Oh, you're using functions on the HP. I'm going to do a calculation here, Mo. Oh, that's a uh, built-in formula? It's, uh, it's Programming? Uh, it was, uh, that was division. So it's got that built in. Wow, that's <laughs> impressive. When I was a senior in high school, it was impressive. Actually. Dividing actually was. It was, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so how much time do I have? I, I'm now. ready. I'm ready. All right, Mo, I have an answer. And it you. is? Well, I'm just figuring it out. Uh, You've got 20, right. 20, 20, 20, and? 24 cents, Mo. 24 cents. 24 cents. Well, see, That's that right. just goes to... Now, okay. 
and you know, an amateur would have said twenty cents. Well, because they don't have access to all the information. They don't have an HP 12. So here's a question. All right, let's just say that it's now 24 cents a share. Now, do you want to know why I went to 24? Do you want to save that for another show? I want to save that for another show. Okay. It's 24 cents. That's right. Take it to the bank. They've always had a dividend yield. Yes. Of 0.3%. 0.3%. So if their dividend yield stays at 0.3%. Yes. And dividends are 24 cents next year. Yeah. Where will the stock be? Eighty dollars a share. Eighty dollars a it's share. It's now seventy-five. Let's see. Okay, that's a seven percent return. All right, so well, you got to seven... buy it for that. Well, I think we just may have killed our. No, I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> respectfully suggest that when you raise the dividend, Mo, the stock goes up by the amount of the increase in the dividend. Fair enough. So right? you're going from 20 gonna to 24, and you're going to have a 20% increase? Yes. All right, if you take no. $75 okay. and increase it by 20%. Yep, now we're getting somewhere. $90. All right, it's going to be a $90, 90 stock, and you're going to have a dividend of $0.24. Cents. That's so right. what's going to be your yield? Well, the same yield. That's why it exactly. goes up. Yeah, 0.3%. 0.3%. Which I'm not sure people are buying this for the yield. I but would not if think they so. are. Now let, let's rewind. So why, with this great data, twenty cents, twenty cents, twenty cents, twenty cents, twenty cents. Would you cents, come up with twenty four? How did I do that? Well, you said it yourself, Mo. This company, all those years of flat earnings and flat dividends, right? Constant payout ratio. Right? That's what management's thinking. Let's have a constant payout ratio. Our earnings are flat as hell. Dividend flat as hell. My bonus is suffering because it's based on earnings. Right. You're going to suffer. Well, look over here. Look what the analysts are recommending or suggesting here, forecasting, for December 2014. This year's estimate... 523 is going to go to next year 614. Yeah. That is a 17% change. So you've got a 20% increase in the stock price, a 17% increase in earnings. earnings We're looking base. at, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. possibly even 20. So that'd be a flat multiple, flat yield. Got it. You basically earn the earnings growth. So Interesting. that's Gardner Denver, ticker GDI. Now, Holly Frontier, not. The 1960s movie star. No, she Different. was good in the Bond movies. Holly, Holly Frontier, yeah. ticker HFC. I don't remember if that was her ticker that was in a, that movie. Yeah, she was there. Well, she was on there with Pussy Galore. Do you remember her? I do. Yeah, that was a good movie. So anyway, uh, but that, not anyway, that Holly. We digress, Frontier. right? Yes, yes. Holly Frontier. What uh, did I think you? This has a no, great. I, I did was, I pick this? You one? picked it. I had I the towers. Okay, Holly Frontier. Again, out of 57 names that came through our screen, the beauty of a screen is if you believe in the screen, the stock got through your screen. So that's a lot of positives already. Rewind to hear what the screen was. But this stock is one out of 57 that made a screen that had a came out of a universe of 2,100 companies. So that's pretty good. And then and then passed our rigorous, and then it passed yeah. our rigorous screenings yeah. where we looked at everything. Yeah. I mean, we see we saw everything, and we, this is one of the ones we chose. Why? Well, first, it's three times EBITDA, and that means earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation divided by enterprise value, which is the amount we'd have to pay to own the rights to the cash flow, all the stock, all the debt, less the cash. That yield is 33%. Now, the bank's paying two. The government's paying two. No one's paying anything. This, If we bought this company, Mo, next year we would have a 33% return. Now, when that happens... Do you have $10 billion? No. So we're not buying no, it? No, we're not, we're not going to do that today, but we could, we could make a few calls. But you sounded so convinced that Just, you were going to own well, the Well, ultimately, that's the anchor to valuation, is the thought that somebody could buy this thing. And it's $10 billion, so in this world, that's not a price that somebody... I mean, Exxon could swoop in and buy this if they felt like it. So there's some anchor just based on the fact that somebody could do that. Or floor, I should say. An anchor doesn't sound as good. And so at a 33% earnings yield or cash flow yield, 
you can make a huge mistake on overpaying uh, because, you know, there's a lot of cushion to the valuation. The stock's had a good run, so I'm not buying it on the momentum. You may want to talk about that. But at three times EBITDA, I look back over the history here on earnings, and EBITDA, you know, it is kind of peaky right now. Their sales have quadrupled in the last five years, and their EBITDA has gone up tenfold. Right. So we certainly want to get behind that. I'm going to guess there's a, a fair amount of uh, increase in you know oil and gas prices that have been a function in that because they do crude oil refining and marketing of refined petroleum, and gas prices have been at record highs over this period. But I really don't think gas prices are going to be returning. I'm talking about gasoline to old levels because the United States government is not approving any more refineries, and so we've got this shortage of gasoline refining capacity that's not going away, and I think that these kinds of EBITDA levels, while they may come down a bit, I think that they're going to certainly be in the ranges where three times EBITDA is a good deal. And well, that's know, my and, thesis. And, and you, can also, um, you can also look at another set of numbers and possibly identify a picture of what these guys are doing um, to add to, to your analysis. And that is, they look like they're rolling up companies in the industry. You know, they're an energy company, and if you look at their long-term debt, it was three hundred. It was, it was zero in two thousand seven. Then they borrowed three hundred and forty million. The next year, in two thousand nine, debt went up to seven hundred million. Then eight hundred million. Then a billion two. Last year, a billion four. These guys are taking on a lot of long-term debt. And their assets have gone from $1.2 billion to $10 billion. So they're buying stuff. They're yeah. using long-term debt, and they're buying stuff. No, the their share w- count's going up, too. When exactly. You know so they're buying mm-hmm. companies with a combination of debt and stock. And so the question that you have is, how long can the roll-up fuel the growth? Because you, even if the industry doesn't have organic growth, in a roll-up situation like this, these guys could be hot for three or four years if there are call it hundreds of small energy enterprises and energy operations that they can buy and roll into their uh, roll under their umbrella. So it looks interesting. I'm just looking up here. I mean, they do, just to your point, Mo, they do $20 billion in sales. And so I'm just going to look up. And they were uh, only doing $4 billion in sales in 2009. So, yeah. you know, that's not organic growth in any industry. I'm just looking up Exxon here. Um, Exxon is four hundred billion market cap. These Ooh. guys are ten, so uh, they're not going to be buying Exxon then. And then these guys do four hundred and thirty-one billion dollars uh, in uh, sales, and these guys do twenty. So, I mean, they're big, but you know, they're small enough. It seems to maybe be potentially bought at some point. Well, it, there's one last thing that I point out, and that is, yeah, it does look like it's a roll-up because the debt shares are going up. What's interesting is I normally don't pay that much attention to analysts, but I noticed on your page and on my page we both circled something. Average rating was overweight, which you, again, don't see these very often in, the, in, in our shows. We run them through a rigorous screen, then we winnow that down big time, and we end up with four names, and, and it's almost never overweight. So yeah. you got 18 analysts following this company. It's a lot. They've got, uh, they've got an overweight rating, and they have a target price of 59 bucks. And so that's a 20% upside. Yeah. So, you know, if you believe in analysts, which I guess you ought to, because well, that's I who would we also, are. I'd point that out for me as a negative. The fact that it's weighted, overweighted by the Wall Street is probably a, a piece of negative. But on the other hand, I'm what, I'd say this maybe is so obvious that trying to be tricky about whether you're a contrarian or not. It's just, you know, oil, gasoline are in short supply. Uh, the world is growing richer. The whole world wants to have lifestyles like you know the Western world. That means more energy use per capita, more gasoline use per capita, and uh, and so you got to figure that this stuff's going to be going up in value faster than GDP and things like that. So, Holly Frontier, not the movie star, not the movie star, ticker HFC. Okay, last up. Towers, Towers Watkins, Towers Watkins. Mo, you like this one a lot. Well, I have a. I have another question for you, Professor. Yes, sir. About the screen. Yeah. The screen that you put Where'd all this stuff. Where'd that go? 
had it here a minute ago. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's in my head. About here we go. the screen. Yes. This screen produced, and, and your eye pulled four companies. Yeah. Three of those companies had absolutely unthinkable stock price performance on the positive side. Unthinkable? Uh, really? It's, it's, look, AOL, AOL in the last two years was one of our names, was up 125%. Yeah. Holly, More than I would have liked, yeah. Holly, Frontier. Yeah. Right? Last year? Yeah. Up 98%. Really? Again. Wow. I'm slipping, Mo. Towers. The one we're doing right now? Yeah. Last year? Yeah. Up 40%. What am I thinking? So Mo? whatever this screen is, it has a, it has a, unfortunately, a little late in the game, but I'm wondering if you could tweak it a bit to forecast, but this screen is unbelievable at picking up companies for some reason that have had killer years. So if you can tweak it so you can forecast which companies are going to have a killer year, we could advertise a fund using that algorithm with guaranteed 80-90% returns. Yeah. And you heard it here first. Well, here's what I'd say. First, we have been in a bull market, so that's you know goes without saying. Secondly, I think what's happened with bond yields being so low and such a, you know, a need for yield that high-quality equities are becoming a substitute for... Bonds with yield that have low risk, bonds are viewed as increasingly risky because if obviously rates go up on longer term duration bonds, uh, you know, your principal gets hit. Stocks can raise price. Companies can raise price. So when there's inflation, if you get the ones that are, you know, dialed into the inflation part and they're getting their price increases, that means they're, you know, improving faster than inflation. Bonds, obviously, the coupons fix. So, um, high quality equities are starting to be a substitute and I think that's what the screen captured a little bit is high quality equities and yeah they've had a run because of uh, the search for yield so I'll throw out an apology to the deep value listeners out there uh, this is clearly a screen that ends up being a little more garpy growth at a reasonable price and uh, but that's not to say Mo that there aren't four Tremendous ideas here today. That is true, and we just have to figure out. And which only fork. time will tell. And if you can get that algorithm of yours to start yeah. forecasting or get that screen, so we can just find stocks that are about to go up ninety percent. Yeah, I'm working on. I that think one. there's a market for that. <laughs> I'd sell that as a subscription service, Mo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Towers Watson, ticker TW. Are we? Are you the man on this? Are yeah, we? I am the man. Yeah, on what this. happened? We're not done with it. Are you we? don't think? Did we even talk about it? I don't remember. <laughs> we might have. If we didn't, we'll just do it again. Let's do it. I think we sort of skated around it. Here's what. Here's yeah. what I've got. I've got. Okay. A, I've got a, a second question for you, and it's a, this is where we do sort of financial sleuthing. Are we doing Towers Watts? We're going to do some financial sleuthing on oh, Towers right. Watts. Oh, Towers Watts. So Ticker here's a company. Tw. Tw. Yeah. Here's a company that was up 40% in 2013. Huge, huge move in the stock. Great. I look at this and I go, wow, what happened? Because the first thing I'm drawn to is the momentum. Yeah. Then I say, what happened? What happened? I look at sales. Any change there? Eh, Yeah, sales are up. I look at at, um, some of the other numbers. Yeah, they're up. But you know what I really noticed? I noticed in 2012, this company that's never had any debt on its balance sheet borrowed $458 million bucks. They bought something. They bought something. Well, and they issued stock. So and they issued some stock. So something's going on. It's not showing up in the assets, but it looks to me as though they issued stock, debt went up, they probably bought something. It's not reflected yet in the sales. It's not reflected yet in the... The, uh, the, but the world knows it's happening, and that's why the stock was moving in anticipation. Well, their earnings went up, so maybe Huge. they bought a vendor and they brought something in-house. In-house, yeah. So hmm. what I would want to know is, is it a one-off story, or is this something that they're going to be doing over the long haul and so they can continue to feel like growth? Because i got to tell you, the, the chart, I mean, this thing's going straight up. You um, know, there's, some, there's a stat I like to do that I'll throw out here, because in June 2011, they had... $3.2 billion in sales. June 13, the estimate, which is pretty close, so this might be accurate, is $3.6 billion. So the delta on that is, uh, you know, $350 million. Okay, that's an increment in sales. Here's the analysis part. 
the increment in EBITDA is from 542 in 2011 to 680. So that delta is 140 on a 200 increase. or a 350 increase. So 120 over 350, that's a 33% or whatever, do the math, incremental margin when the total margin is 16%. So it may just be that they have a giant fixed cost overhead, whether it's buildings, people, computers, what have you, telephone banks, and they've just reached a point where every dollar of sales, 60 or 70 cents. Right, is and, so you'll see, and so you'll see a couple more years of margin expansion. Could be, yeah. if, if things continue. Yeah. And one of the theses on this one is just there's a skill shortage at the high end. These guys are recruiters. They recruit in the areas of uh, talent management, risk capital, uh, you know, what else? Who knows here? Um, and I think that, you know, when you have skill shortages, CFOs are looking at hires as an ROI. And so, you know, when you have a little more optimism in the economy, like we're starting to see, CFOs, in effect, put a higher value on each person because if they can count on a growing economy, that person helping me two years from now is more valuable. And so recruiting firms end up being the beneficiary of a rosier outlook. And I think we're in a little bit of a trend. I mean, the market is obviously ahead of me on this one, Mo, with being up 40% last year. But the valuation metrics, let me just review. Eight times EBITDA, that's a 12.5% cash-on-cash return. I think that's pretty acceptable. Price to cash flow, 12 times. That's cash flow. Um, I don't know what they're measuring it on. It's probably gross cash flow, but that's an 8% yield. Price to sales, one6 um, you know, that is toward the high end of what they do, so we may not get a lot of multiple expansion on sales, but their margin's going to improve, and this thing can get to a 14 multiple on EBITDA at the high end of the range. And I think you have a little bit of expansion in margin, PE, and sales are apt to be good the next few years because of this shortage of skills I'm talking about. And it's uh, eight times EBITDA, so I like it, Mo. It's valuation and a little bit of momentum here in the economy. You know, I just noticed. This. I just noticed another thing about this screen, which um, which intrigues me because we, we we found all these companies with huge increases last year. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, I said one or two companies ago we re- we don't really get many overweight ratings on these things it's it's probably something that happens once every three shows and um this screen generated a a something i haven't seen in a long time which is towers watkins get to buy an outright buy rating from 10 analysts holly was remember was holly was rated by 18 analysts overweight you don't really see that very much. And AOL is rated by 18 analysts, and that's a lot of analysts for a company. Yep. It's also rated overweight. So we got to go back and save this screen that you did. Yeah, no, Because it's, it's turning out some of the more interesting names we've done in any of our shows. And from my point of view, it's turned out some of the most expensive names we've ever done. Interesting. So I apologize, everybody. All uh, right. So that's it. Four that's great it. names. People out uh, checking those things out. Um, this is the part of the show where we like to talk about paging through national economic trends, which, of course, as usual, we uh, have yet to print or even look at. So uh, we'll go do that right now, and we will be right back. back everybody with paging through national economic trends a publication that mo and i go through every so often uh from the st louis federal reserve it's free it's everything mo that you'd ever want to know everyone ever want to know about the national economy so uh and there's some stuff you wouldn't want to know 
I just the tons you don't want to know. Right. Um, Which is why we're here to sort through <laughs> the morass and come up with the with the oysters. Take the pain. The pearls. Take the pain away. Just report the stuff that's uplifting and positive. Yep. So, so that's the end of our section. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, well, come I, on. There's yeah, some good there's stuff Yeah, there's a few good there. things. All right. What do you got, Mo? Anything? Hey, I wanted to ask you a question. Yes, sir. <coughs> we just um, You just told me where we just hit rank number 30 on the World Wide Web. Yeah. For yeah. financial podcasts. On iTunes, yeah. Really? Yeah. Number 30. Well, you know, yeah. Wow. We're, so we're, uh, we beat Jim Cramer this week. Uh, I don't know. He's got that international television show which helps his audience well that's true yeah. but in terms of podcasts that's yeah, pretty no, that's we, impressive we we hang in there yeah we're we're pretty highly if ranked. each one Who knows our, why if each one of our listeners voted twice on those polls yeah we could get to number uh, 15 yeah right anyway okay charts all right well first up this week this is uh, national economic trends page three i don't waste a lot of time top left real gdp growth this chart gives about Three years, three and a half years of quarterly real GDP growth. I mean, there's better, there's longer series other places. But this is a quick snapshot. It's all graphical. So by this stage in the show, Mo and I like things that are more in pictures than words. So it's helpful to us. But what I'd point out is in the first quarter of 2013, which uh, has been reported for a while, but I'm just commenting on it, the quarterly GDP number annualized was about 2.5% which is the third best in the last three and a half years. So I'd say third best is pretty good. The economy is looking pretty good. And, and the, the numbers that um, that are going to come out next week on the Case-Shiller Index, uh, I'm going to forecast that those numbers are going to show a 12% increase next week in housing prices. Really? You, you got heard, an insider at Case-Shiller? You heard it here. You heard it here first. <laughs> well... That's a lot of inside information, Mo. But I like the fact that GDP is, uh, I mean, and who wouldn't, is doing pretty well. The other thing I'd point out on page three is that, and this has been a a value guy's drumbeat, the unemployment rate continues to go down. So it's not some type of phony made-up thing to win the election since it's May 2013. This just continues to go down. It's taken another very strong leg down and is now around, looks like, 7.5% or so, which is, you know, higher than it has been in the past, but... Heading in the right direction. Heading in the right direction. Now, you know, let me, uh, you just, you focused on something in the very short term, which is important, which is the the last three years unemployment rate's been declining and and doing that dramatically. Let me ask you a, let me ask you a decades question. A right. long, long, long-term question. Yep. If you look on page seven, page I look seven, at these. Roger. I like these. Sometimes these big long-term yeah. charts give you a perspective that you don't always have when you're just focusing in on them. Yeah. During the 1980s, interest rates were 10 percent. During the 1990s, interest rates were 6 percent. Ten years ago, interest rates were 4 percent, and now they're 2 percent. Yeah. Every 10 years. Since the middle 1980s, interest rates have been declining two percentage points a year. When you talk about throwing gasoline on a fire, when you talk about rocket fuel, you have a 2% reduction in in, in 10-year rates. Well, that's true, Mo. And uh, that is a huge driver. So we're 2% now. Does any of you worry that in the next 10 years... You have a you have a reversal of this trend and all of that rocket fuel that, that kicked off the, the, the stock market that fueled our careers reverses itself. Well, I think that's a very good point, Mo. And you know, I mean the finance industry as a percentage of GDP at the peak was twenty percent of GDP, just like the peak of energy was twenty percent back in the seventies. Each industry that gets out of whack gets to that level, it seems, and then recedes. Finance is twenty percent. Was 20, now 10. And I think, you know, part of this graph, though, Mo, there's a couple other things at work here. Yep. One is inflation. And I don't know if we've talked about this or not, but inflation, you know, the average increase in the price of goods, 
is, in my opinion, in some ways driven by the demographics. So the baby boom is something to study. And as the baby boom moves through time, they affect these big macro uh, metrics. So, for example, inflation. You know, there was a certain capacity to build things for Americans that came out of World War II and grew a little bit. Well, all of a sudden, the baby boom comes out. It's the fastest growth in the population ever, and everything related to having more people goes up in price. So houses go up in price, food goes up in price, all the goods everybody wants to buy go up in price because they're trying to ration scarce goods where capacity is not growing quite as fast as the population. And that led to a lot of inflation. Well, in 1979, and that went on for a while throughout the 70s, etc. Inflation up, interest rates up. To where in 1979, Paul Volcker started to target lower interest rates and... Uh, but I would also point out that corresponds exactly to um, a point in time when the average baby boomer was moving out of the house. And so the front half of the baby boom had already bought all their stuff for a household. And now the bottom half was coming. But on average, that surge in demand for all things in your house was going down because of the you know the, the moving of the baby boom through that snake. And if you think about interest rates as the price of money, as the baby boom got all the stuff they needed, their demand for goods went down, and therefore their demand for money went down, therefore the price of money went down, inflation went down. The other way to think about it is all through the careers of the baby boomers, they're saving money saving money. On average, not everyone is. And as they get older, they start Well, but money. as you save money, the price of money goes down because the supply of money, of savings, goes up, and those people are willing to accept lower returns because there's so much of it. And so where we are today is a couple that, you know, played by the rules, saved their money, they got their money in the market, in the bond market, they thought they were going to earn 6% for the reason you said, Mo. Over 20, 30, 40 years, the rate was always at a level where, you know, you felt comfortable you could earn a 6% return. Now those people, you know, are having to eat into principal or work longer. And yep. so it's, yep. Uh, yep. that is a very interesting chart. And now I've been well, you want to know, here's a, here's a if you uh, don't have anything between here and page 13, i got one last chart to, to point yeah, out. Yeah, go here. ahead, sure. Page 13, we talked about this a long time ago when we had our secret guest on, the ah. unidentified female that's gotten fan mail. We noticed on that show that, that we were looking at this chart in on page 13. She had so a lot of fans. She did. Yeah. Um, and it was a chart of personal savings rate. And, you know, it's been yeah. going down since 2008, and all of a sudden... At the end of 2012, it shot straight up. And we were asking ourselves at the time, was that because people were spooked by the market, spooked by the economy, were savings more, saving more? I mean, the personal I mean, we're not talking big numbers. It went from 2% to a little over 6%. It, generally, we should be saving more than 10% of our income. But nonetheless, big jump. We didn't know why. And it turns out that this was a result of, remember all the companies paid those special dividends? Yeah, Remember right. we did a bunch of shows where we picked out stocks where we thought they were going to have a special dividend yeah, to shareholders right. before the tax the, rate, the, went, the up. Tax rate yeah. went up. And that was the dividends hitting all of those people's accounts. And then what you've seen is now that, they, that, that they, that's unwinding. They're not going to get special dividends every quarter. Boom. You're back down to trend line. Yeah. Where the personal savings rate continues to decline. Good for the credit yeah. card industry, I guess. Um, that's a very good point. But now, my last comment here is from, uh, I actually ripped the page so I could find it. Here it is. National Economic Trends at the St. Louis Federal Reserve, page 9. Is that, that, that I thought that was a federal offense, ripping the, the economic trends. I uh, mean, that's like taking the tags off your mattress. I don't think you I can know. do that. Well, look. No, oh. it didn't happen, Whoa. right? Happened in the mail. I mean, that's like destroying money. You can't do that either. On this page, there are a bunch of charts related to inflation and to tie into my comments a minute ago. Top left, um, the uh, NIPA chain price indexes. And NIPA, I'm sad to say I don't know what that stands They're for. They're not the gun control National group. Inflation Protection Association, probably. But 
it sounds like they're pretty serious about these inflation numbers. And what you see here is a trend line over the last three years of down, down, down. The most recent quarter, uh, just over 1% inflation annualized, up from 09 the quarter before that. And so we're at the lowest levels in three years. I think that's pretty positive for inflation. Also, the consumer price index in the last two months. I'm looking at a chart here, also on page 9, that shows monthly. It's down. now negative yeah. for two months after a big spike in the first uh, second month of the year, they're now negative, down three, down five in the last two months. And I honestly don't know what that is. It could be commodities or who you know, who knows what it is. But it's something that is keeping some lid on the uh, consumer price index. And, of course, the producer price index is also negative. So whatever's in these two series that's going down, and I think it might just be raw materials or gold or who knows what, but um, that's a good sign for inflation. And so, spot oil's been coming down. Yeah, so inflation and, um, in check. It yep. seems uh, yep. that's my message. So, um, so doctor, is that is that the, is the economy in good shape? Will the market uh, be up next week? I think the economy is in better shape than people think because we're, you know, basically the internet and the productivity you get out of that makes it one of the reasons the job growth hasn't been higher than people think is in part because. The internet is making Mrs. Smith's librarian job not necessary. So as the economy grows, you're finding out who you don't need to hire. And as that becomes, you know, more of a trend, uh, you have a big group of people who have been, in effect, displaced by technology that are going to go find different jobs, invent stuff. That's how in, we were all farmers at one point. I think people lose sight of that, that in 1780, 98% of the population were farmers. Should we be upset that the farming jobs are gone? You know, it's, right. we just, there's a little period here of, a, you know, kind of a, you know, sort of rationalizing these losses of jobs due to the productivity of the Internet. That's going to kick in, in my opinion, and I'm confident of that. But even more, uh, I guess even, even more than that, the government and the declines in government spending the last couple quarters, and you can see that in this issue, the government spending has had a negative roughly half to three-quarters of a percent impact on GDP. So, so that, when, that drag is, that is not drag. going to be permanent. So yeah. it's in the 2.5% number. Yeah. You add yeah. 80 bips back on it, you're at 3.3, which starts to seem normal. And I think next year... That's we're going to be at that, and uh, people will be happy, you know, about the economy. It's, it's taken a little longer, but it seems like it's playing out in a good way, Mo. Good. So, well, I got one last question for you before we wind down the show. Yeah, wrap it up. Yeah. Is that pencil you're holding say "Hello Kitty" on it? Uh, it is my "Hello Kitty" pencil, Mo. Thank uh, you. It's from my. Uh, there's a story there. Listen to the next show and find really? out about about. About why Hello Kitty. Why, Thanks for why noticing. Dal is, is taking notes on national economic trends uh, with a Hello Kitty. Well, anyway, there is a story. Um, favorite stock this week, Mo, for Phil. We gotta give him a he likes to know the favorite. Uh, and who wouldn't, frankly? Well, I'm gonna go with Towers. I like it. It's you know, it's it's got some early Mo. The screen picked out two names that have more than doubled. Towers is only up 40%. So if it made it through the screen and it stays on track, I think we got a at least a 20% upside from here. Um, you know, the balance sheet looks great. You've got 10 people that are really looking at the numbers, and all the estimates are coming up. So you got good numbers, no mistakes, a lot of eyes on this company. That's what I would choose. Towers, Watkins, ticker, TW. Nice summary, Mo. I'm going to go with Gardner Denver, ticker GDI. And the stock is the only one we did this week that's down over the past couple of years. Valuation, nine times EBITDA, good solid industrial that I think will benefit from an infrastructure uh, play over the next few years. Gardner Denver. So that's our show this week. Thanks for listening in, everybody. See all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took, links to past shows at www.com. TheValueGuys.com. So long, everybody. And have a good weekend.